from the Allen Media Worldwide Headquarters Studios, high atop two Turtle Creek. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Greetings, everyone. It's your co-host Ryan Trimble. Joining you today, again from the Worldwide Headquarters here in Big D, alongside my friend, my colleague. And a man who is nostalgic about his favorite salad bar. He, of course, Sean P. Williams. Sean, good day, sir. Good day, Ryan Trimble. It was nice walking across the parking lot here at Two Turtle Creek and making our way over to Tom Thumb. And while the salad bar was not in place and has not been in place throughout the pandemic, they have recreated some of our favorites. That's right. It is now a counter order. It is like a deli order. Deli style. And, you know, for lunch, we have some great options over here. But I think you and I have always been partial to the Tom Thumb. (laughs) Yes. You and me and uh, my mother was always a big fan of the Tom Thumb salad bar. But it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. But But it it works for us. It it does. You know, don't let... Don't let our fancy uh, pictures fool you, all the fancy (laughs) trophies and awards fool you. We're just men of the people, Sean. I had, uh, it's like social media, right? It's not who wants to listen to a podcast with somebody telling them what they have for lunch. However. However. Here we are. The the baked chicken at Tom Thumb. The okra. It's all right. Get in on the fried okra. Yeah. Okay. Green corn was good. You got an extra. You got an extra. I did. I did. The lady was nice enough to give me an extra drumstick. Yeah. um, Shout out to our friends (laughs) at Tom Thumb Deli. Tom Thumb Deli counter. Thanks for thanks for stopping by. I guess. So it you know, but now that we're back in the office more, we're having to think about lunch more and more options. You know, unfortunately, one of our our former sponsors of Deconstructing Dallas, Haystack, is no longer uh, located here in the building. They have left the building. They have left the building. Literally. So, you know, we have to have more options. And it's good to have Tom Thumb as an option. You bet. You bet. I am all in. But, uh, you know, while the salad bar may be a thing of the past, you know what else is a thing of the past, Sean Williams? Tell me. The Texas A&M fighting, fighting Texas Aggies losing to Alabama. You know, I was listening to last week's episode or the last episode with Dr. Eric Johnson and it took me back to that moment on the elevator. <laughs> Some guy kicking you in the shins about your Aggie yes. polo. <laughs> yes. And, and I didn't even have, I was at a point where I didn't really have much of a, of a comeback. And where'd you get that? The bargain bin? Yeah. It was a tough week. He was letting you have it. It was a tough week. However, and I, and I, had, I heard, I had a friend say this to me. I hadn't thought about it like that. But the two wins... The two losses, would you trade the two Uh losses that we had for the win against Alabama? And I would not. I I think I'd rather have the Alabama win versus those two losses to Arkansas and Mississippi. I mean, you're going to lose to Arkansas at some point. You can't beat anybody a million times. You're a salty bunch this year. Unless you're like, unless it's like Vanderbilt or. No disrespect. Yes. But unless it's like Vanderbilt, <laughs> maybe Rice, you know, whoever those teams are. Yeah, you can't you, beat them up. You lay off the feisty nightbirds, Sean. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. So, you know, I'll, I'll take shout out to Zach 
Calzada coming in and, and pulling a, a Willis Reed, limping off, being carried out the field, helped yeah. out the field, going into the tent with Coach Jimbo, coming out and leading, throwing the, a dime. That was quite a pass for the tie. So it's quite uh, and a then pass. Seth Smalls. <clears throat> Biggie Smalls. <laughs> Biggie, Mrs. Smalls, perhaps Mrs. the Smalls, best part of the She night. seemed like, and we have to retweet <laughs> that. It was a great video of his family, Seth Smalls' family, watching him kick that final field goal. His mom wasn't even looking. His wife was shouting yes. at him onto the field. And when it went through, the excitement of the family. But Mrs. Smalls, Man. the wife, the, jumped. The best way to describe it was some uh, on Twitter after that. She, she jumps over the over the wall. She's on the front row, and she jumps over the wall, and she gone. She was gone. She was <laughs> out. pretty funny. She was out. But so. Good for them. Good for you, Sean Williams. Yeah, I think uh, you know. I have to go. I have to call up our colleague Kristen and, and see Kristen Welsh and see if she wants to put some sort of wager on the game this week. Wager on with the Missouri. Game. You know, see yes. how she's feeling about that. Yes, our Mizzou journalism grad. Uh, colleague Kristen Welsh, the great Kristen Welsh. So, so yeah, man. Uh, exciting episode today, though. Um, and we we say exciting episodes, but fortunately, we're I think we are getting exciting episodes, and not just an exciting episode, but an exciting human being that we're talking to. You know, I, I had an energy drink today, Sean, and it was C four or something. And this episode feels like a can of C four. I mean, it is. It is an energy drink for your ears. Well, our, our next guest that we're going to be speaking with is Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia. And it seems like he's had a C4 all day, every day. Man, he was so fired up. We're, we're really grateful to the chief for coming on. He had been out at the fair, <laughs> noshing, noshing on a, a corn dog, came rushing in. Um, I've never seen somebody so fired up to eat a corn dog. I know. It was great. He is in. He loves this city. And uh, he, he's got a great vision for uh, for for the future of our city and um, really excited to share this with our listeners. The good thing, the cool thing about this episode is, you know, we've done a lot of these virtually and we've gotten really accustomed to and like the sound of kind of our audio only format. But this one, we did have a chance to record with Chief Garcia using a video platform also, which is really cool. And you could really see his energy, see his passion as we were talking to him. That was really yeah. cool. Yeah, he, he's fired up and I'm fired up. So let's jump right in. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. Sean, super fired up today to be joined by the 30th police chief in the history of the city of Dallas, the 140-year history of the department. He, of course, the first Latino to serve in this role. He is Chief Eddie Garcia. 
Chief, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to hey, be here. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, um, you, you've been on the job. You just came on the job in 2021, and, and uh, we're excited to to catch up with you now. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell our audience, you know, what, what makes you tick? Oh, all right. Well, that's kind of open-ended, man. How, how long you got? <laughs> uh, no, uh, a little bit about myself. I was uh, born in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and uh, actually – my family and I, uh, you know, bypassed uh, a lot of probably what are the usual Puerto Rican stops and uh, went out to the Bay Area in California, settled down there. And my dad, my father at the time was working for uh, Pan American Airlines and went there and uh, learned how to speak English in, uh, in the Bay Area. Although, you know, Puerto Rico is part of the United States, but obviously it's uh, about as close to, you know, uh, you know, being one of those type of places where you feel like, you know, you're, you're, you're somewhere else and uh, yeah. coming over here, learn how to speak English. And uh, you know, one of the dynamics and I'll say it right now, I was a cowboy fan before I even probably said my first English word, <laughs> uh, 1975 watching Roger Staubach running around. And my two favorite teams are the uh, Dallas Cowboys and whoever the San Francisco 49ers play uh, last week was the Cowboys and Seahawks uh, this week coming up. I got to look, but uh Growing up in the Bay Area, I always got ribbed for it. Uh, but uh, I've been to the city on many occasions, and uh, you know, uh, been a, you know, and uh, and love this place. And uh, from my perspective, from a law enforcement perspective, I've been a cop for uh, nearly thirty years. Got hired, uh, you know, in uh, uh, you know, in the San Jose Police Department. Came up through the ranks there. You know, I worked every imaginable proactive unit. You know, worked uh, narcotics enforcement. I was on the SWAT team. I was a homicide investigator. I worked vice. I was a criminal uh, special uh, investigations lieutenant. Uh, I commanded the Bureau of Investigations and, you know, and, and worked all those units. I was a homicide investigator. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I also worked community services. I was the executive assistant chief in San Jose for three years before being the chief of police there for uh, nearly five and, uh, you know, uh, I didn't feel like, uh, when it was time to retire from there, I just simply didn't feel that, uh, I was ready to, I was ready to hang them up yet. Uh, and so what's something most people don't know, I was actually hired on the same day that, uh, I'm so grateful for city manager Broadnecks to offer me the job here on that same day. I actually had another job offer to a very small, uh, city in Northern California. Uh, you know, the decision was easy. Uh, I took the road less traveled, I guess. Uh, you know, I'll say this, like I, I probably could have done the job in that city from Dallas. Uh, certainly the issues that I've had in Dallas, most cities could not compare to in a while. Uh, but there's not a major city chief in America that doesn't know the issues that they're getting into. Uh, this is a destination spot. Uh, this is a place that I've wanted to be in for a very long time. And so when it's, the opportunity came up, I jumped for it. Uh, you know, I'm a high energy guy. I'm not a stay in the office kind of chief. Uh, actually just came, just went to my first of many visits to the state fair uh, earlier today. Uh, I love this town, fall in love with the city, fall in love with this police department, fall in love with the great state of Texas. Uh, I'm appreciative to how this community, uh, business community, electeds, uh, you know, and our neighborhoods truly support law enforcement uh, and are not afraid to say it, which that may seem you know, not a big deal to those that are from this state, but I can tell you being from California, that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, the support that law enforcement gets, although held accountable and we should be, uh, really is second to none. 
Uh, I've been now in two states, two major police departments, in two major cities in America. Uh, and this place is just, uh, although I will always be appreciative to the rank and file in San Jose, in the San Jose PD, that I, there is no way I could have gotten this job without them. Uh, I love my new home. I love this department. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to really working hard uh, for the residents of the city of Dallas. Chief, you know, you mentioned high energy. Uh, I've seen you as a high energy guy on this job. And so, you know, I, I wonder, you talked a little bit about your background, but where does that come from? Where does that drive come from? Like, you know, how how did you get that? Man, I don't know, man. I tell you, I just, I'm appreciative of everything I got, right? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'll say it. I'll tell you with the story and, and why I'm so appreciative and I don't like to put my money in a mattress. And so, you know, uh, when we had gotten here from Puerto Rico, my sister and I were in school and we didn't really know how to speak English all that great. And my mom, who I'm bringing my mom out here to, to Texas here in the next couple of months, loves telling the story. And she still has the same thick Puerto Rican accent today that she did have that she had in the mid to late 70s. And she went up to a teacher one day and asked the teacher how my sister and I were doing in school. And the teacher says to her, well, you know. They'll never be at the top of their class, but they'll be okay. And so I'll never forget the day that I became the chief of police in San Jose, which, you know, is a 10th largest city in America. And uh, I was at the council chambers. I looked up to my mom and I'm like, you know what, mom? I think we made it to the top of the class. <laughs> you know, and so now I have this unbelievable opportunity to now be in a place that I've always wanted to be in, and, you know, another large city in Dallas. And I'm just appreciative, man. I was a, a kid that came over from Puerto Rico that didn't know how to speak English. And now I'm leading the second, my second large department uh, in the, in the nation. I'm just ex extremely appreciative of it. Uh, I don't believe anything comes for free. Uh, I don't, I think you have to work hard for everything you got. And when people ask me, you know, how, what success looked like to me is like, you know, I just can't sit in an office and expect that to happen. Uh, and then finally, I love my job. Like, you know, I'll tell you what, it's funny. Every once in a while, people will come up to me and go, hey, chief, are you doing okay with some of the major stuff that's going on? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I love my job. I love what I do. I love supporting the men and women of this department. I love praising them when they do amazing work. Uh, I love acknowledging the fact that, you know, we need to take the criminal element off our streets, but at the same time, uh, pump up our community trust to ensure that our neighborhoods trust us. And those two concepts are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. uh, I just love loving what I do. I mean, I are the worst days. I mean, I look down every once in a while, look in the mirror and see these four stars on me. I'm like, man, what is there to be bummed about? Uh, I love doing what I do. Um, I love being able to have a direction and have, you know, and be that head coach that has a play and let's see if the team can, you know, do it. And, and it's just a great job. I love doing it. And then and I'll tell you what, it's not hard here. I mean, you know, I went to watch the state fair and I couldn't walk, you know, you know, more than 30, 40 feet without someone coming up and saying hi and how much they appreciate the work of the men and women and how much they appreciate what we're trying to accomplish. It is not difficult to love this job. And so, you know, when you get that, um, it pumps you up and it invigorates you. Uh, and you know, and, and it may be, and that's just me. And that's, I mean, I know internally, I know I'm sure that happens to other people that may not be as high energy, but, uh, you know, it, uh, you know, that I, I'm proud. I pride myself in that. Man. I love, I love this energy. It's, it's so great. Um, chief, I was going to ask you about your time in San Jose. What, what are some, some of the lessons you learned that's, that you bring, that you brought to Dallas with you from San Jose? 
But, you know, one of the lessons I learned, I learned and I'll say it, you know, is really uh, it's funny because I was on. So I was on our narcotics. I was uh, I worked on the narcotics enforcement team. Right. Uh, you know, took a lot of criminals off our streets. Uh, I then, you know, I was on the SWAT team, uh, you know, and did that for a few years until I got promoted. And then I was a homicide investigator for a while. Uh, and then I was a, a jet, I was a night detective out of homicide and then I became a homicide investigator. Uh, and then I got promoted to Lieutenant after all that. Right. So one of my mentors looks at me and he goes, we need to round you out. And so, uh, they send me to be the commander of the community services division which was the community outreach arm in the department. Uh, and I tell you what, and people thought, okay, this guy, uh, SWAT guy, narco guy, homicide guy, now is going to be the commander of community services, right? And I just jumped in with both feet. And it was just so awesome. Uh, and it was one of the first times, you know, and I'll get serious for, and I'll get serious for a second and just say it was one of the first times when I realized uh, that being a police officer was more than the handcuffs that I had on my belt. And it was just a great experience. And, you know, at the time, everyone always hates the words, you know, we need to round you out. But it absolutely worked in my favor. And there's no way I would have been here without that. It was so important to to realize that. Uh, because, you know what, as cops, uh, and no pun intended, but, you know, one of the reasons I became a cop is I love the show cops. Uh, you know, I got hired in the early nineties and it's like, I'm not going to lie about it. And I think anybody back then that became a cop and told you otherwise, they'd be lying about the fact that that did not, uh, you know, something that, that they're like, man, I want to do that. That looks fun. Yeah. Uh, this job is fun and it is fun, but there's a lot more to it. And sometimes you have to go through to learn that. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky to say that, you know, to the extent that I learned what I learned while I was already on the job, you can start doing that a little earlier now, not just with applicants and future recruits, but recruits in the academy to let them know, hey, listen, everything you're learning is important, but we still need to learn a heavy dose of community. Uh, the support of men and women is important. Hey, listen, I say this all the time. And when we're wrong, we're wrong. But when we're right, I will defend my men and women to the hilt, regardless of what the outside noise is. Uh, that's something that I learned. That's something that I'll carry over. That's just part of me and uh, doing that, uh, you know, learning also as well, though, you know, I wear my emotions on my sleeve and sometimes I need to relax a little bit, particularly uh, doing things in, in with media, uh, talking about controversial things, uh, you know, doing things like that um, is important for me to recognize as well. And then, but I, but I like to be a collaborator. I like to bring people to the table. Not everyone's going to agree with me. Uh, and you know what? I have, uh, I have a saying. If, uh, don't, if you want to be liked by everyone, don't be a leader. Go sell ice cream. Uh, you know, because that's not what it's all about. But to the extent that you can bring people around the table and let them feel that they have a voice. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, you know, a lot of the things that the groups that I bring around me tell me, you know, make me think, huh, maybe there's a different way to do it. Uh, so I think those are things that helped, um, that have helped me, certainly. Uh, and, uh, and that I'll continue to practice. It's Deconstructing Dallas. We are talking with Dallas Chief of Police, Chief Eddie Garcia. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the crime initiatives going on in Dallas. So uh, hang with us through the break. Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble, Deconstructing Dallas. We'll be right back right after this.
Did you hear? Your local college football team is undefeated. That's right, the SMU Mustangs are 6-0 and and riding high into the second half of the season. And now, you and the family can be part of the action when the Mustangs take on Tulane on Thursday, October 21st. For just 60 bucks, you'll get two tickets to the game, plus two fried shrimp po'boys. It's a deal you can't beat to see a team that can't be beat. So pony up today by calling my friend Percy Richards at the SMU ticket office at 214-SMU-GAME or by visiting smumustangs.com. Don't be a fan later. Get your tickets today. Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. We are with Dallas Chief of Police, Eddie Garcia, who reminded me of my first sports cry when White Clark caught that pass in the back of the end zone in San Francisco. <laughs> and so I just got to refocus myself here after that. Uh, Chief, we know that, you know, violent crime is always a metric that, that people in Dallas are talking about. Uh, the Dallas City Council is always asking about. And so I, I'm going to ask you how we're doing in Dallas as it relates to violent crime and, and what initiatives have you have you put in place targeting violent crime? Uh, great question. So there was no secret um, back to when I was thinking about applying for this job of what the standard was going to be once I got here. Uh, there was an expectation that violent crime needed to be reduced in the city of Dallas, that we had some years uh, where we struggled. Uh, and so, you know, frankly put, on, I didn't start the job till like February 2nd. Uh, I got the job, I think December 23rd, 22nd or 23rd. And in between that time, I was working with criminologists from the University of Texas, San Antonio, uh, to come up with a violent crime plan that both them and myself with my experience and their, uh, you know, their, uh, educational experience and criminology background, uh, could come up with together. And so, you know, we came up with something uh, that the criminologists will tell you is the best that criminal science has to offer in the country in the years that we've done it. And it's a three part uh, and it's, it's in three parts. It's uh, in hotspot policing. It's in place network investigations and it's focus deterrence. Uh, I'll get to the to the hotspot policing and its results at the end, but place network investigations and focus deterrence are the are two methods that aren't just about necessarily uh, police centric. Place network investigations is surrounded by the theory uh, that we need to make places instead of going out to the same place over and over again and arresting people is we need to take care of the problem. And if that means, let's say you have a problem, let's make it this simple. You have a uh, you have an apartment complex that's dealing drugs uh, and there's been murders and it's one in our in a hotspot area. Well, you just don't keep going back there as if it's some duck pond to pad your stats to keep arresting people. At one point, you serve a search warrant and then you say to yourself, why are we coming back here? So then you bring in the city attorney's office and you bring the landlords. 
Uh, does the area need lighting? Does it need a better park? Do the streets have something to do with it? Is parking an issue? Uh, and so, you know, you're, you're talking about like three or four or five different departments that have to work together to take care of the problem once and for all. And so that's, uh, and that's just in a simple way of explaining that. Focused deterrence is a method by which we need to impact individuals uh, that are susceptible to a life and violent crime. Uh, whether that's uh, young men and women uh, that are involved in gangs, uh, whether that's individuals that are being released out of the state penitentiary coming back to Dallas, Dallas County, is to talk to these individuals and really tell them two things. Tell them that I will use every tool in my arsenal to ensure that they don't hurt my community. And if they want to either end up going to prison or going right back to where they're coming from to not act foolish when they get into our city. However, if they want to succeed and if they want to get out of that life, I want to be able to provide the mechanisms by which they can do that. Do they need education? Do they need job training? Do they need help with their families once they get home? Do they need mental health training or help? Do they need substance abuse help? Those are things that will help us become safer as well. Now, let me go back to hotspot policing, which we've been very successful so, you know, at this, uh, before we started the violent crime plan, uh, we were 18 murders over what was already a high year last year at the end of February. Uh, today, uh, as the day started, we were nine murders below we were at. Uh, so we've come a long way. Now, we're not doing a touchdown dance by any stretch of the imagination, but the trends are trending in a very positive direction. I always, they counsel asked me and I'm glad they trusted me. Uh, when they said, how are we going to, what are the metrics you're going to measure this by? And I'm like, if you look at the statistics that the, you know, criminologists were, were, were telling us, you would see the trend line. The trend line was going straight up. And I said, listen, I'm not going to tell you X percent lower or what have you. Our trend line needs to start going down. <laughs> That's success to us. Uh, and again, they trusted me and they trusted us. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. Uh, we're seeing a plan that has gotten some national recognition early on with what we're doing differently than what other major cities are doing because other major cities aren't seeing what we're seeing right now. They're certainly not seeing, uh, you know, they're certainly not seeing 5% reductions in murder uh, as we're starting to see. Uh, we need to, we, we're still wrapping our arms around uh, aggravated assaults and those victims, which are important. Uh, but we're doing much, our, our robbery numbers are amazing. Our murder numbers are, have done very, very well. Uh, and we're really, we're really starting to tighten down on aggravated assault incidents, which are important, you know, and it's interesting as we talk about, I mean, you know, we'll talk about the elephant in the room a little bit with regards to, you know, community and police relationships. I say this and I say this a lot. And again, as I opened up with, I'm not a stay in the office kind of chief, I have not met a neighborhood yet. Uh, in the city of Dallas, and I've been uh, to quite a few places that regardless of regardless of race, language spoken, or economic status has ever asked me for less policing. Uh, and in fact, it's very often that our communities of color are the ones that uh, are frustrated with us and me that I can't provide more. Uh, and I know that. Uh, and I always really like to tell people, you know, and tell them, listen, when you get out of your office, uh, regardless of what work you're in, 
uh, you're able to kind of sift through the false narrative, quite frankly, I'll call it a false narrative uh, with regards to community and police. Yes, we need to police better. There's no question about it. Yes, we need to be procedurally just. But no, our communities don't want us to leave. Uh, and that's important to hear. It's important for me to reflect on that, to tell my rank and file that because that pumps them up particularly with all the false narrative and the mainstream media making the, the arguments they've been making when no one's ever taken the time to go out to our neighborhoods that are truly impacted by violent crime and ask them, uh, ask the true neighborhoods, because you won't hear that. Uh, and I can say that confidently because I hear it every day. Um, so, you know, we're, we're gaining on our violent crime. We have a long way to go. Listen, ultimately in the end, particularly in areas of the city of Dallas that have historically been uh, areas of concern. We didn't get into the mess overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight. There's going to take some serious investments. Uh, we know that violent crime revolves around poverty, education, lack of jobs, uh, you know, the family structure. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have nothing to do with police work in general that lead to some of our most vulnerable areas being deep, deeply entrenched uh, in, in, in violence. And so we're, we, we can just only do so much, but we're going to have to really invest with the rest of our city, uh, and the great business community that we have here. I got to tell you a true story real quick. So I'm at, uh, South Oak Cliff at, uh, at the four South Oak Cliff community center, uh, talking with Taylor and he's taking me around and touring me and he takes me into the gym. And so he says to me, you know what, we're looking for a projector chief. And I'm always trying to be that bridge that kind of connects, right? Because I want to be able to be like a, like a credible voice that can go in to, a, to somewhere to ask something for a group that I know is going to make them better. He says to me, he goes, chief, we're looking for a projector. So I go, you know, uh, you know, kind of ignorant. Why do you need a projector in here? He goes, chief, there aren't any theaters south of 30. I said, Okay. So probably two days later, I have a meeting, a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting with uh, downtown Dallas Inc. And there's about 75 to 80 people on this meeting. And I tell the story. Well, first of all, I tell my crime plan and what my vision is and how arresting criminals and making our streets safer and giving back to the community aren't mutually exclusive. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Within two minutes, uh, a woman sends me a message and says, we'll take care of that projector. Well, I just had lunch with her and her mother last week where she didn't realize at the time of saying yes, that the projector was $19,000. Didn't deter her one bit. Didn't send me a message back saying she couldn't do it. She figured it out. Uh, her and her mom, uh, and today for South Oak Cliff has an industrial uh, projector in that gym. People ask me, chief, why are you getting involved in trying to do that? And this and that and the other. And I'm like, listen, let me tell you something right now. I can't tell you the amount of lives that projector is going to save, but when I have kids or young adults that are in that gym watching a movie at 10 o'clock at night, instead of being at the car wash down the street, I guarantee you that projector will save lives. And I guarantee you that is a public safety initiative. And, you know, we, there's other stories like that. But like this community and this business community and the philanthropy that we have here, there is so much here that we just got to figure it out and tie into it, have a plan, and people are going to jump on board. And it's just all of that really goes into the whole uh, reduction of crime. It's just not PD. 
the fact of what we did there collectively, you know, it, it's, it's all of us together. Well, that leads right into my, my last question, chief is, is how, how are things going? That's a great story. I love that story. How are things going with, with your planning for community uh, policing, you know, across the city? I think it's going well. I say this very often. Listen, no one is working harder than my gang investigators, gang units, SWAT teams, um, yeah. CRPs, deployment, patrol, everyone who's doing proactive work, no one's working harder. However, my community affairs division is working just as hard as they are. They are working and being as proactive in community involvement, giving back to our community uh, as my proactive criminal units. Uh, you know, we're out there. You know, I can't wait for the pandemic uh, really, really wants to get behind us so we can be out there even more. Uh, there's no secret to this. We have to be present. Uh, that's the number one. The technology is fantastic, all that, but nothing beats a good old fashioned community meeting. Uh, to meet with your residents, whether it is they're loving you, whether you're getting yelled at, it's still positive. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, and I think that's, that's important. And I think you'll find uh, at least that what I, the feedback we've gotten is, you know, I mean, you're never going to make everyone happy, right? I mean, this is a, the, the, the work is the work is what's important, right? This is, a, it's about the journey, not the destination, and, uh, but I think it's been very positive because I think my rank and file know that our vision in the Dallas police department is that we are going to work our butts off to do both, to take the criminals off our streets that are doing our communities harm. And to also make sure that our community knows that we're here for them, uh, to make their lives safer, uh, and successful. And, uh, and those are our two goals and they both go hand in hand. Chief, last thing I ask, uh, you know, we're really supportive of the officers. Uh, we, we know how much they do. I've worked with a lot of those folks and know what they do. Um, and, and we know that nationally training is very important. Officer training is very important. We also work with the police institute. So, you know, what's the latest that you all are, are doing as it relates to officer wellness um, also and also training initiatives? So, you know, with officer wellness, one of the things that we're going to start doing and what we've been looking at is to ensure our officers uh, have counseling available. Uh, and we're still working with the city attorney's office to see if I can force officers uh, to have counseling available when they have critical incidents that they go to. And not the big ones. I mean, listen, I mean, our cops, and particularly I know in the last eight months here, I mean, on any given weekend, that's more than any human being should have to see in their entire life. Uh, and so, but we're also in a profession where there's a lot of bravado. We're also in a profession that doesn't want to come out and say, hey, I need to talk to someone. Uh, and oftentimes we, we got to be better. I mean, I got to work with the city attorney's office and whatever the legal hurdles we have to go through, we got to do it. Um, because I don't care if I, ten set, if I send 10, and I'll give you a perfect example. When we had little Cash murdered in a uh, little four-year-old little boy that was murdered uh, and found in the middle of the street in, uh, in, South, uh, in Southwest Dallas, uh, every single officer that was there was affected. Um, you know, you have officers that, you know, go to a car accident scene, 
uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a child drowning, uh, just a regular, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's just a myriad of, as you can imagine on this job, we got to find a way to ensure those individuals at least see someone for help. And I don't care if anybody's seen the movie goodwill hunting, I don't care that if it's a first, I don't care if they sit there and look at the clock for the entire hour and not say a word, but you know what? There'll be one that will have needed it. And for all the ones that maybe didn't need it, there'll be one that will need it. And if we can help that individual, it'll be amazing. Uh, we're working on getting an early warning system that's going to start coming up in place that there'll be little, there'll be little triggers via algorithms that will tell us if an officer matching these types of, of, of red flags and what type of help that they could need. And so we're working on that. Uh, and you know what, one of the other training things that we're doing and we're starting to do, and we need to get better at it is we're teaching our officers, the history of American law enforcement. Uh, we're teaching our officers, the negative history of American law enforcement and why it is uh, where that certain communities lack trust in us. There is a reason for that. Uh, there's a reason everywhere where that exists in this country, but we all know particularly if we do our history that I, I love, I'm a big history guy. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do before I became the chief the second time around is be a high school history teacher and a football coach. <laughs> and so I love history. <laughs> and I tell you what, anybody that spends a week, uh, here in the state of Texas in the city of Dallas can get absolutely soak up the rich history. Uh, a lot of great history uh, and a lot of negative history that we need to learn from. And all of that is true from our officers so that when they go to communities that they understand that just because you wear a uniform, that means someone's going to stand at attention for you. Uh, and that there's a reason why that exists. And there's a reason why we need to work harder. Mm -hmm. And again, having said that doesn't mean we're not going to do the jobs we've got to do in those neighborhoods. Uh, because God knows, unfortunately, it's in those neighborhoods where the, that are impacted by violent crime that we need to do that job. But we need to know the reasons why that distrust exists. And it didn't just materialize. It isn't just someone hates someone with authority and hates the fact they're wearing a uniform. That's not why. Uh, particularly here, as in most places, there's some deep entrenched reason why that exists. And we got to work hard. That's all it is. And I think there's power, uh, you know, in education. Uh, and teaching our recruits uh, that rich history uh, and why that exists is a very important. So those are some things that we're working on. Chief, this has been awesome having you. Um, if, if our audience wants to find you, follow you on social media, where, where can they find you? Uh, so I am at, uh, I should probably memorize this because I tweet so much, but I'm at, uh, at, <laughs> I'm at, at, at DPD Chief Garcia. Well, I, I'm already following you, Chief. Uh, great follow, and it's really good to to connect with you and, and the officers on Twitter. And, and thanks for everything you do, and, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right, awesome. Thank you. This Talk is, soon. This is Deconstructing thanks, Dallas. Chief. I'm Williams. Okay, Ryan. We'll be right back right after this. Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, 
Sean Williams. Big thanks to Chief Garcia for coming on and joining us, man. He has me pumped up for the future of our city, Sean. Yeah, it's exciting to hear what what he's doing and what his team is doing to lead the Dallas Police Department again. You know, I had a chance to be there at the department for about four years, mm-hmm. uh, about three years, and really got to know the work that our men and women in blue, uh, the work that they do and, and putting their lives on the line. But not only that. But also just reaching out to the community. There's nobody that has more uh, involvement, more engagement that touches our community more than our officers. And so to know that we've got Chief Garcia at the top, uh, putting a plan in in place, um, you know, putting a leadership strategy in place and really just setting a tone. It makes me feel better about about where we're headed as race to law enforcement. That's right, Sean, where there is no vision, the people perish. I read that somewhere. Yes, I've heard it somewhere. I don't know where. But, I read that uh, somewhere. We need to do some research on that. We should probably do some research online. But Well, you know, in the first segment, before we go, we did get to talk about the Aggies, and I appreciate you for indulging me Absolutely. on that. However, I do have to make sure to recognize the home team because um, the SMU Mustangs ponied up uh, against Navy. And the streak, their streak continues, but it is a win streak. That's right. Six and oh, um, yet again, here we are. Sonny Dykes, uh, he has the, the Midas touch, perhaps, when it comes to coaching at SMU. Um, the Mustangs ranked 23rd in the nation. Tanner Mordecai still leading the nation in touchdown passes, Sean, 26 on the season. So I don't know if he'll quite get to Joe Burrow's 60, but um, – you know, we'll see. This is off week. They are, they are off this week. They have uh, the Mighty Green Wave coming in next Thursday for an ESPN Thursday night game. The Green Wave had a good game against somebody. Was it Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Yeah, yes. they had a, a really They strong, gave Oklahoma. Just like fits. we were talking about, though, right? It's one of those games where, you know, if you're going to beat a team like Oklahoma, you can't. You got to just do it. You, you got to just hang around. You can't so, let them hang around. You know, but, so watch out for the Green Wave. Oh, I, I, I do not take anything for granted, Sean, as you know. Um, I, I uh, you know. I'm there every week. I'm focused. We're trying to just go 1-0 every week, Sean. Well, I know that there are some of our listeners, and, and we've gotten feedback that <clears throat> they don't always love the college football talk. But, I mean, this week between a Alabama win, A&M win against Alabama, and a 6-0 Mustang start, we actually should give a little shout-out to UTSA. Roadrunners, the the mighty Roadrunners, the Roadrunners, right. undefeated. Uh, our friend Ken Robinson, his son Ken Robinson, is a cornerback on that team. So, a uh, little love to UTSA. I believe it's hashtag Meep Meep, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> For those Roadrunner fans out there, uh, and I think they do the birds up or something. Everybody's That's got right. a sign everybody's in Texas. Got, everybody's yeah. got a hand sign. So, and with that, <laughs> we are going to get on out of here. So, uh, thanks to our guests. Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia for joining us today. Uh, As always, we want to thank Allen Media, our entire team, and especially our owners. We want to thank Mary Woodley. We want to thank Jennifer Pascal. Thank you, our listeners, for checking us out. You know, it's look, things are looking up for Deconstructing Dallas, and it is because we know that you are listening and you are sharing this podcast with people you know, people you love. So continue to do so. Please share this podcast on your social media platforms. Be sure to tag us. Tag Ryan Tremble at rtremble15. 
R-T-R-I-M-B-L-E-15. Tag me at Sean P. Williams, S-H-A-W-N-P Williams. And let us know what you think. Uh, Leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Give us five stars. We'll take it. However you want to do that, get it done. So until we meet again, uh, this is Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble, Deconstructing Dallas. Adios. Adios.